In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution here with the 386th episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. Everything you need to know about the Atlanta Falcons. We're going to title this episode, What Can the Falcons Learn from the Final Four Teams as we're down to the championship week. We have a special guest on hand to help us break it down today. We have USA Today columnist. Jared Bell. Jared, thanks for stopping by today to the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. The Bowtie Chronicles. <laughs> and and you, you're saying it's 386 episodes, and this is the first time that you've had me on. So I hope it's not another 386 episodes before you have me back. But then again, we got to do it first. You may not want to have me back. Oh, no, I know I do. I just uh, needed to reach out to you. And, uh, you know, um, uh, we're usually on the road together and so forth. So um, it was a good time to, to you know, bring you in and have some of the uh, listeners of the Bowtie Chronicles hear from you. If you all don't know, Mr. Bell was the 54th Bill Nunn awardee this past summer, the first black journalist to receive that honor from the Pro Football Writers of America uh, to go into the Hall of Fame in Kenton. So we got a gold jacket guy here with us today. Uh, um, and uh, he's the second writer from USA Today to win that award, joining the great Gordy Forbes. Gordon Forbes was fine. Uh, he was all, he was kind to me. I know um, when I was covering the Packers one day, he was up there and he didn't, he didn't like how Robert Brooks responded to the young reporter's question. And he, uh, you know, he addressed that thing for me right away. So, but Gordon Forbes, uh, Jared Bell joined him in the uh, Pro Football Writers Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Uh, the Bill Nunn 54th awardee is here today to help us break down the NFC and AFC championship games. And then, you know, we're the Falcons. We're going to cover the Falcons. So we want to know, hey, what can the Falcons learn from these four teams, how they were built uh, the quarterback situation, the coaching situation, you know, there'll be several issues to discuss as you try to, uh, you know, help out Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith as they're earlier in their rebuilding efforts uh, on what they can, you know, pick up. I know they studied the 49ers at, at length and also the um, Seattle team at length when they started out with uh, Pete Carroll and John Snyder. So it's not uncommon for you to try to learn stuff from other teams. It is a copycat uh, league. But uh, let's get right into these games, Jarrett. Um, you were at Buffalo, Cincinnati. So let's go ahead and jump to the uh, the AFC game. Uh, you know, uh, the Bengals, the third seed will go to Kansas City. That's the headliner game at 630. And uh, you got uh, uh, Coach Zach Taylor and Andy Reid. You know, I always do the coaches and the quarterbacks. And you got Joe Burrows and Patrick Mahomes with a high ankle sprain. Well, how do you see this game shaping up? Well, first, let me say, so many people were expecting 
that the championship game would be in your backyard, d <laughs> at Mercedes-Benz oh, yeah. Stadium. And the Bengals kind of, you know, put the kibosh on that. And it was pretty cool at the end of the game. You know, Bengals players were like waving to the Buffalo Bills fans and saying, y'all need to get refunds and, and all of that. So, I mean, they really took it as a slight. Now, we know the NFL was trying to, you know, make an equitable situation after the cancellation of that game. But, you know, the Bengals, they said, hey, we'll just take anything. And remember, when that game got canceled, there was also that possible scenario where there would be a coin flip and the Bengals might have to go on the road as a division champ. And they didn't like that either. I was talking to Joe Mixon after the game the other night and telling him how I really dug his uh, his end zone celebration against Baltimore where he did a, a far coin flip. So all that to say this, D-Led, the Bengals have a lot of swagger. It starts with Joe Burrow, but it includes a whole lot of people. I mentioned Mixon. Eli Apple was just a character in his own right. Um, obviously, Jamar Chase. And and they just kind of have a way. They, they did this last year where they went on the road and won in Kansas City. So they feel like they could do it again. So no fear there. But, you know, it was just impressive to see them really just pounce on the Buffalo Bills. Now, here's the other thing. Patrick Mahomes, for as great as he is and as wonderful of a player as he is and as accomplished as he is with Andy Reid, he has never beaten Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, 3-0 against Patrick Mahomes. Um, this could be a rivalry that extends like, you know, Brady and, and, and Peyton Manning for many years. But right now, Joe Burrow's got the upper hand and they have no fear going into Arrowhead Stadium, which can be a very tough place to play. So all that to say, and you mentioned Patrick Mahomes with the ankle, a high ankle sprain. You know, we've seen Mahomes do a lot of things, um, but but now he's going to have to do it at, you know, significantly less than um, 100%. And if you watch the game against Jacksonville before he got hurt, the thing that he did so well, which he's done before, obviously, but it, as that game was flowing, his mobility was top notch. I mean, he was avoiding the rush and stepping up and making throws. And he ended up coming back and, you know, adjusting his game a little bit. But, you know, I, advantage Cincinnati. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the one other thing, though, uh, Jared, to consider, the, the Chiefs got Chris Jones and Frank Clark. I didn't see anybody over there on Buffalo's side that could take advantage of the Bengals being down three linemen. Great and they, point. And yeah, so that's the only caveat I got going into that game is, uh, hey, can that line have an encore performance, keep Joe Burrow upright and let him do his magic, uh, open up just enough for, for, for Joe Mixon? Because uh, they were 29th in the run and uh, got 172 up in Buffalo. So usually you don't get you know that kind of flat that kind of flex in the in the run game. But we'll now, see. Hey, that says something about Buffalo, okay? Right. As well, because like you said, it couldn't take advantage of the fact that you're down that, that they're down three offensive linemen. Real big disappointment for the Bills. But the one thing that I saw in the game that kind of helped account for the the lack of you know experience with their offensive line is that Joe Burrow got the ball out quick now you know Joe Burrow can chuck it deep like anybody and especially when he's got Jamar Chase running down there 
but in the snow with the elements and with the situation with the depleted offensive line, the Bengals game plan seemed to be with the passing game. Let's get this ball out of Joe Burrow's hands quick, which in the snow, it helped anyway, but also even on a lot of the check downs, he was not holding on to the ball. And as it turned out, I think he just got sacked one time. And then I think the bonus was the fact that they were able to to run for so many yards because that has not been Cincinnati's strength at all this season. Even though Mixon's been a really good back since he came into the league, it really hadn't been that consistent this year. I don't know if they'll be able to do it against Kansas City, but, you know, Kansas City's run defense isn't like the Steel Curtain or anything or the 49ers. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. Uh, let's move on to the uh, NFC game. We got the 49ers, number two seed in a survival. That was a survival game against Dallas, 19-12, hard fought, made those plays at the end. And then the Eagles just kind of ran the Giants up out of the stadium. Uh, number one seed at 3 p.m. on Sunday. You got Coach Kyle Shanahan going against Nick Sirianni. And then the quarterback in the uh, Duo is Brock Purdy, the seventh-round pick out of Iowa State, and Jalen Hurts, the third-round man who trained here in Atlanta by Chip Smith. He was Chip was telling me, he was trying to tell me, I need to have you out here. He's doing great. But I had just talked to Jalen at the Senior Bowl and had a good interview down there. Uh, but um, he, he trained Callan Kaepernick before their draft, and uh, he said Jalen was just as good. And, and, you know, I wish I had just recorded that. And uh, wrote it, um, you know, three years ago when he was trying to coach uh, Coach Chip, uh, you know, one of the trainers in town, a uh, longtime trainer, uh, was way ahead of everybody on the Jalen Hurts curve here in town. So how do you see this matchup? I, I didn't see the Eagles much this year, but I certainly uh, know what Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers like to do. Yeah, well, both of these teams are very well balanced. So you start talking about defense wins championships. Yeah, here's your your proof this year, right? The 49ers are going to try to win this game with Brock Purdy, and we've been saying this every week. They're <laughs> trying to win with this, this rookie quarterback. Well, he's never lost. Now here comes another test, and the tests just keep getting tougher and tougher. And the Cowboys played a great game against Brock Purdy. The Cowboys' defense did a – Magnificent job, really, in holding the 49ers to under 20 points with all of those explosive weapons on offense. Purdy has impressed me so much, D-Led, as this guy who he won't wet his pants, right? He's really cool, composed, gets the ball to his playmakers, doesn't try to do too much. And, oh, by the way, he has some mobility about him that will allow him to escape pressure and things like that. But he just really just seems like such a cool customer. Now you got to do it against Philadelphia, which has a defensive line that is even better than San Francisco's. And, and, and I say that because they're deeper. I think their rotation goes deeper. But really, you could split hairs on that because the 49ers have a great defensive line, great linebackers, great secondary. Well, the Eagles have a really good secondary as well. So the defensive matchups, is really what could, could determine this. Now, you talk about the quarterback matchups with uh, Hurts against Purdy. These two guys played in college when Hurts was at Oklahoma and Purdy was at Iowa State. And it was a shootout, man. It was like 40, 44 to 41 or 43 to 40. It was something that both teams scored in the 40s. Uh-huh. And I think those two quarterbacks got a lot of respect for each other. Uh, it won't be that type of shootout 
in the championship game. But I think Philadelphia at home, um, boy, you know, we'll we'll see what Brock Purdy, what, what he has left because he's been magnificent so far, but he's going to definitely need, you know, the help from his defense to contain Hurts and that Philadelphia offense. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to do that. They're going to be able to win the game like that. Yeah, no doubt. I thought uh, Quinn's defense wore down a little bit. That 92-yard drive hurt him. Mm-hmm. And then all of the passes Purdy was throwing were in the middle of the field. So I'm like, the jump jump inside and make these guys go outside so he's got to you know make a more difficult throw. But they were giving him easy throws into the middle of the field. I don't expect the Eagles to do that. Uh, so, yeah, and I, I do love the uh, Niners. They come out with that boom box and, you know, <laughs> like they're really ready for business and uh, they, they come to play. So uh, the safety back there, he's a, a fine young player. Uh, so, yeah, I think the, the, the Eagles might have a little bit too much firepower for him, and we'll see how that one shakes out up at the link. Yeah, that uh, uh, that was when my first game on the beat was at the link. Well, it wasn't Uh-oh. the link then. It was uh, the AFC, the NFC Championship game. Michael Vick. Uh, we had to. It was snowed in. We had to take a train. We flew to DC, then took a train to Philly, and got to the hotel about one o'clock in the morning. It was about ten or twelve of us, about eight piled in two uh, limp in two cabs. But yeah, so I know how uh, rowdy that place can be. I don't know what the weather is, but I'm sure it's going to be cold. Let, uh, let me tell you a Philadelphia story. If okay. <laughs> interject. So back in the 80s, I'm covering the Cowboys, working for the Cowboys Weekly. And, you know, Philadelphia was always just that tough place to play. You know, mm-hmm. they booed Santa Claus. I remember yeah. Jimmy Johnson, his first year as coach, they pelted him with snowballs <laughs> as he was going in and out of the tunnel. But back in, I guess it was 1987 when – the NFL had the replacement games, right? Okay, yeah. And yep. the scabs. I'm, and yeah. Tex Schramm, the Cowboys president, was, you know, like lockstep with Pete Rozelle. He was like the, the quasi-commissioner of the NFL, so involved in the labor issues. And Philadelphia, the union town that it is, oh, yeah, Tex Schramm was number one on their hate list, right? <laughs> and yeah. so I'm flying with the Cowboys on a team charter, and we go to the hotel, and – when we get to the hotel, I think it was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, because none of the Philadelphia hotels would allow the Cowboys to stay in the Philadelphia city limits where we used to stay. So we had to stay in, in Cherry Hill. And outside that hotel were hundreds and hundreds of fans, right, just screaming their heads off, trying to really just cause all kind of havoc. And after the game, same scene outside the vet and the fans it was even more fans after after the game, as you would imagine. Because remember, they have a jail. They had a jail at the bottom the of the stadium, vet, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so these fans started rocking the bus. Oh my goodness, that was one of the one of the most frightening uh, scenarios I've ever been in, as far as traveling with the team. The fans were just rocking the bus, rocking the bus, and and we finally got out of there alive. But you know, they had they had all kind of signs, you know calling Tex Ram all kind of names and stuff. and not saying Tex didn't deserve it, but it was definitely a Philadelphia moment. So, uh, yeah, that's the environment that Brock Purdy and the 49ers are going into. But, you know, the 49ers have played well there before, but that was, you know, with Steve Young and Joe Montana and guys like that at quarterback. 
Yep, no doubt about it. Uh, no question. That's going to be a tough one. It's going to get things started at 3 o'clock and then the nightcap by 6. So we'll know the Super Bowl combatants by about 9, 30, 10 o'clock on Sunday night. Now, looking at these teams, you know, uh, you know, one of them is a direct descendant of the Falcons. Kyle Shanahan helped get them to the Super Bowl and got him a job and uh, <laughs> has been a contender out west. Uh, Seriani's Ohio guy, Mount Union College, kind of came out of nowhere, but uh, the coaches knew who he was. Uh, Zach Taylor, that's one of Bob Lamont's guys, and Andy Reid's the old school Bob Lamont guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, so so Bob's Bob's got somebody in the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yep, yep. So so how what can the Falcons learn uh, from you know these two these four teams who? You know they uh, they got Mahomes. Well, you get the number one pick, you get Joe Barrows. They uh, Kansas City did some great scouting on Mahomes. The Eagles did some great scouting on uh, their quarterbacks. Um, that's one lesson I think. Well, but uh, I don't want to take your thunder away. What are some of the things, Jared? You believe the Falcons can learn from these four teams here? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it with the quarterbacks. I mean, that's that's an obvious thing. But but we're talking about Brock Purdy, who the, the Falcons could have had, right, along with 31 other teams. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I think one of the lessons is that you have to support whoever's at quarterback. Desmond Witter can, can do some good things for you and can win a lot of games for you if he has the proper support. Falcons have a great running game. And so that's one thing that, you know, obviously they can they hang their hat on. But if they can get him more weapons, one of the things that was so evident up in Buffalo the other day was that Joe Burrow had more weapons than Josh Allen. And so there was more pressure on Josh Allen. As great as Joe Burrow is, if you could throw it to Chase and T. Higgins and Hayden Hurst and, and you've got an array of weapons, you could do a lot more damage. So I think the Falcons definitely have to make sure that they – get their skill position depth, you know, up to par and and even better than it has been. You talk about the offensive line, which has been a sore spot for the Falcons for a long time. But, hey, they had the fifth best running game this year. So mm -hmm. it's not like the cupboard is bare. But I think the Bengals have shown us that even with uh, a depleted offensive line, you can go out and do some things. You could You could win your game. So you've got that. The other thing – the Falcons have to really concentrate on as much as possible is to fortify their pass rush, their front seven, pass rushers, edge rushers. And they've got some some talent there, as you know, um, not enough. But uh, I think if they can fortify the defensive front, you look at these teams, you look at what the Eagles have done, what the 49ers are doing. Um, even the Bengals too, with, mm -hmm. with their defense um, and their defensive front. I think those are areas that you know they have to look at and say, okay, if they can do this, we can do some of this. Yeah, and one of my favorite players in the league, he's getting up there. Uh, but Fletcher Cox, man, if I could just have four Fletcher Cox <laughs> on my line, we'd just go to war every week and just drag people all over the field. Then they got uh, the baby Jordan Davis from Georgia in there. Oh, yeah, he's tight, isn't so, he? So, yeah, yeah, so I love them big guys, and that's what the Falcons don't have. Uh, you know, even the Bengals, B.J. Hill and Reeder, I mean, them, man, it just, you know, it just takes a double team to move them out of the way, and that frees up everybody else to do their thing. 
And I, I know the Falcons have been in the bottom of the league with the pass rush for a while since Abraham uh, retired and they had the one year with Beasley. But you can get that rush from up the middle, too, if you got, you know, big old guys, um, uh, you know, um, you know, being occupied and, and, and getting a push in that A-gap. You see the Bengals slip Mike Hilton in off the edge for some blitzing activities. Love uh, him. A, love yeah, him. yeah, love him. He's from Atlanta, uh, Sandy Creek High. That's where okay. Calvin Johnson went. Uh, uh, we got uh, Coach Zach talking about him later. But, yeah, Jared, that, um, those are some very good points. Get the weapons. Uh, you know, the defensive front, um, you know, safety play is going to be big here, too. You know, uh, we learned that back with uh, with the Colts when, you know, uh, with Coach Dungy and Bob Sanders was hurt. Remember, they were giving up all those yards late in the season. He said, hey, I need the eraser back because uh, <laughs> yeah. Bob is like he erases those bad plays. He just comes and blows people up. Yeah, big uh, we, time. Big time. We haven't yeah. seen any safeties like that in a while, so. You know, and he was only like five foot nine. Five nine, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I thought the world on Bob Sanders. Was, I did too. Yeah, yeah he was good to talk to, but he had a certain edge about him. Oh that, yeah. You know they fed off of, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. They they gave up like two hundred and something yards to Jacksonville, right? In, in like a December week, game, like, yeah, week yeah. fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. Game. <laughs> and then he came back, and it was a different story. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. That's a great point, D-Lad, great point. Right. So, yeah, I'll always remember that story. That, you know, that's when I look at the safeties. I'm, I try to see if they, you know, are erasing mistakes, you know, and, and so forth. But uh, that'll be big here because some people going to get out. They're going to – the Bengals going to get out. You know, they, they go, you know, T-Hick, somebody's going to bust something. And it's just whether if you can keep up. And I don't know how Travis Kelsey gets open, you know. They were <laughs> – I'm like, my God, they know they're coming to him. And, and then I'm like, whatever Andy's doing to get him open, you know, Andy's old tight ends coach, you know, I had him in Green Bay yeah. uh, with, with uh, you know, Mike Congren's staff and everything. But whatever he's doing with uh, Travis Kelsey, you know, Arthur Smith's old tight ends coach too, learn from Mike Malarkey, he need to do that, whatever it is, because uh, he's open uh every game and he's getting 10 12 balls so you got Kyle Pitts you got to get him the ball yeah so that's one thing to to maybe take away from these uh four games also but uh yeah well Jared I certainly appreciate you coming on by to help us out and get ready for the uh AFC and NFC championship games and we uh we uh you know and also sharing your thoughts with the uh, on the Falcons you know I know you uh have been to a couple games to see them this year up close too so um, uh, you're getting in to see them early on their rebuild year two under Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. Big offseason for the Falcons. Uh, so thanks for stopping by, Jarrett. Take yep. care and have a great uh, – yep. oh, go ahead, finish up. Let me, yeah, let me just say one thing to, mm -hmm. to, to your thought about the Falcons. Remember how bad they were supposed to be? when mm -hmm. we were in training camp, and they were going to yeah. be like the 32nd team in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, 30, yeah, 30, yeah, 33. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they really exceeded expectations. So hats off to, to Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith for doing that. And now the expectations go up another level. That's the way it's supposed to be. But um, I really was impressed with how the Falcons, you know, kind of competed this year. And I, mm -hmm. and I also was impressed with, the personality that Arthur Smith has kind of instilled on his team. 
which mm-hmm. I think flows from him. I mean, this is a dude, and you know, because you've been in those press conferences with him, and he can get a little snappy when you when you ask him <laughs> about something or that. Yeah. Or and I saw that in his team with the way they competed too. So yeah, so let's see if they can mm-hmm. you know build on build what on they it. did this year because, mm-hmm. like I said, back in training camp, they were the bottom of the barrel, and they didn't end up being that as bad as everybody thought. Yeah, no doubt. In New York at the um, the joint practice, man, the Jets riders like, this is the worst team we've ever seen. They're making the Jets look like I left New York thinking, oh, my gosh, it's going to be a long season. My New York guys are just killing these guys. And uh, it didn't turn out that way. But, yeah, I had never been at a joint practice where the um, the media declared the home team a winner. <laughs> and they were ready to put a banner up uh, uh, out of the Jets facility the Jets. For, for dragging for Joe Flacco dragging the Falcons back ups around. It was it was hilarious. But yeah, that's a good point, Jared. Thanks for bringing that up. And right now we're going to take a break. This is the Bowtie Chronicles from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is taking Georgia political coverage to the next level. Now Georgia's smartest political team is adding Hall of Fame political broadcaster Bill Nygut. I am beyond thrilled to be joining the remarkable political team at the AJC. And with the year that we have unfolding in politics, it's going to be an exciting ride. Read Bill Nygut's expert insight on AJC.com and listen to the Politically Georgia podcast with me, Greg Bluestein, And me, Patricia Murphy. And me, Tia Mitchell. Hear new episodes every weekday. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal Constitution presents. Hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip hop. We're back at the Bowtie Chronicles podcast, episode 386. Thanks to our special guest, Jared Bell, for stopping by. We're going to move on to uh, Coach Zach Taylor uh, of the Cincinnati Bengals, courtesy of Bengals.com. And then we're going to look uh, discuss our position-by-position position series and the analytics or the, the real treat in there. Uh, the eligible players for the NFL draft. And then we're going to share Bucky Brooks. One of our, our good friends in the business, uh, Bucky's uh, thoughts for the Falcons at number eight with his mock draft. Now, y'all know I don't do mock draft. I try not to do mock drafts until I go to the combine. I get to talk to everybody, see some players, and so forth. Uh, the mock drafts right now are, are you just throwing darts at the wall. They don't. People haven't had their physicals. They don't have the right height and weights on folks. You don't know how fast they are. Uh, but uh, they're getting better. But the only mocks that really matter are the post-combine mocks. And then you can, can do them every week. You get some trades, and then it's fun. But, you know, these mocks for uh, the 2025 mock draft, that's just throwing darts on the board. So, But y'all know where we stand on that. But let's move on here. Here's uh, Bengals coach Zach Taylor, you know, talking about how winning in this league is extremely uh, difficult. Well, I think winning in this league is extremely difficult. And 
you can't look far down the road. You just got to look at the next game in front of you. And I think that's what this team has always done is who is in front of us? What do we got to do to beat them? Okay, we did it. What do we got to do next week? And so it hasn't really been about sustaining success for us. It's just about how do we win the next game? And next thing you know, you've, you've won 10. And um, then you just focus on the next one. You, you try to be one to know the next week. And that's, that's really all this team's honed in on. Yeah, they uh, got to get to 11. They're going to go back to the Super Bowl. Now, the um, you know, they've won the last three. Jared touched on this against the Chiefs. They went in there and beat them last year. So um, what is it like, you know, knowing that you've beaten the Chiefs three times in a row? Here's what Coach Zach Taylor had to say. We got to beat them one time in a row. You know, it really, those other games, uh, obviously there's, there's more familiarity personnel-wise amongst both teams now. We obviously understand the environment we're walking into. That doesn't hurt. But at the end of the day, it feels like we played them a really long time ago. It feels like, I mean, I, I don't even know how many games ago it was, to be quite honest with you. I don't even know what month it was in. But, you know, teams continue to evolve. And, and different strengths pop up, different weaknesses pop up. And so you got to do the whole game planning thing all over again and then get your guys ready to go and play in a tough environment against a great team. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, one of the things about the Bengals is, hey, that defense has gotten so much better uh, from when Coach Taylor and them first got there, and he stuck with uh, Coach Lou Anaramo. Uh, they struggled early, but here's what he said was the key to them coming together as a defensive unit. Just because you can see the vision um, of what he was he was trying to get going, and, and it takes time to, to iron out the wrinkles in the scheme takes time to, to place the personnel how you want it. it takes time to um, let guys grow in the scheme. And I think that's just it requires patience sometimes for all of our phases we've had here, for every everything in this um, that we've had that we've done, scheduling everything has, has required patience and we've gotten that. And you can see what happens when, when you get patience and it's just it's it's an awesome thing to see. Yeah, we discussed uh, Cincinnati's nickelback Michael Hilton a little bit earlier. Uh, he was brought to my attention. Uh, you know, he was at the, the camp this summer with Casey Hayward and, and all those guys. But Coach Smith really liked him as one of the top nickelbacks in the league. Played at Ole Miss, went to Sandy Creek High uh, from Fayetteville, Georgia. Here's what Coach Taylor had to say about Michael Hilton. He's just, uh, he's he's the best nickel in all football, you know, and He's savvy. He's instinctive. He's physical. He's got great coverage ability. He can make plays on the ball and come up with the ball when he gets his opportunities. Um, he's a fearless rusher. You know, a lot of guys are tentative um, when their number's called. He does just a great job complimenting all of his, his looks. And so then when he when he gets a chance to pull the trigger and come, he makes the most of it, you know. And, and uh, just knowing, having played against all sorts of corners and safeties and nickels that pressure a lot of them as soon as they get blocked it's kind of over he's he's the opposite you know he's going to keep fighting through it and find ways to put pressure on the quarterback so they can feel his presence and um, just really instinctive player that way now a big elephant in the room is quarterback Patrick Mahomes he suffered that high ankle sprain and, and that's going to be a factor in this game but uh coach Reed was on um on the Tom Brady show, Tom Brady and Jim Gray do that show on Monday nights. And uh, Coach Andy was asked uh, the injury was as bad as uh, the one that Patrick had in 2019. 
and um, he said it wasn't as bad as that one. And and he he played the following game against the Raiders, uh, and uh, threw for four forty three and four touchdowns. You know that was a regular season game, not a playoff game, but uh, you know they fully expect him to play on the high ankle sprain. Probably put him in a shotgun, not move him so much. Little painkillers. Uh, what Larry Fitzgerald said will probably happen. Uh, but here's what Coach Zach Taylor had to say about Patrick Mahomes. What well, is a big part of his game, but I also saw it show up in the second half of the last game against Jacksonville. Um, he's a great competitor. He's he's tough as nails. So again, he's you don't also want to assume he's not going to move around when I just watched him move around, you know, and so. He's deadly. He can throw from all arm angles and make plays, and plays can break down, and, and he's going to get on the same page with his guys and make plays. And so um, you got to go into it with the mindset that, that he's going to be the same player he always has been. Yeah, that's probably a good, uh, a good point for Coach Taylor. Just, the, you know, the injury's not going to, you know, you just kind of got to go play Patrick Mahomes and figure he's going to show up and play. Uh, lastly here, one of the, um, you know, ex-Falcons, uh, Hayden Hurst, he was here for two years. Uh, you know, they didn't do his fifth-year option. He ends up in Cincinnati. Uh, then we're looking at the game, and there's snow, and everybody's watching Jamar Chase. Then, boom, Hayden Hurst is busting free into the end zone wide open. Joey Burles finds him. Uh, they go up 14 to nothing. Uh, so even the Bengals figured out how to get their tight end open. Uh, but here's what. Coach Zach Taylor had to say about ex-Falcons tight end Hayden Hurst, who was in Florida last year watching the Bengals make their march to the Super Bowl. I mean, that was, you know, that's that's something we, we talked about yesterday before the game is there's 24 teams that are watching the televisions that are watching you guys play and, and envious of the opportunity you guys have. Um, I remember being on vacation in 2020 down in West Palm and texting Joe Shane, who was with the Bills how jealous I was watching NFL Network and watching them practice, you know, their little warm-ups that you guys would film and stuff. And I'm looking at the ocean, you know, and I'm jealous that I don't get to be in the snow practicing, getting ready for, you know, the divisional round. And um, so I, I know that feeling. Um, I know how bad I wanted to be a part of what the other teams were doing. And so I, I can understand what Hayden felt last year. And, and uh, that, that's, that's great. You know, if, if that helps us in the future, that's awesome. All right. That's uh, Coach Zach Taylor. Uh, Hayden Hurst, he's taking the place of Uzama, who they didn't re-sign, and uh, he's doing a pretty good job for the Bengals. I uh, just want to wrap up with our position-by-position position series. We're, um, you know, the on our last days, we went through the offense last week and doing the defense this week uh, and wrapping up with special teams. A couple things. The Falcons finished third in rushing, uh, and uh, one of the advanced stats was that Tyler Algier had 53 rushing uh, first downs. Uh, we did the uh, quarterback numbers. We found some off-target numbers uh, and um, some on-target completion percentage numbers. And uh, Marcus Mariota and Ritters uh, were kind of about 5% off of the top quarterbacks that are playing right now. Anything over 75%, you know, you're, you're, you're uh, on target uh, at an elite level. So they're about... Both that was the issue with both of them. That was the issue with Ritter. Why he lasted to the third round was accuracy. So you know we'll track his accuracy numbers uh, the rest of the way. Uh, wide receiver wise, uh, you know Drake London was a the story there. Everybody else is a uh, unrestricted free agent. Uh, it's headed that way. 
So do you keep Alameda's Zacchaeus? Does he get a better deal in the open market? That's what you do there. Tight end wise, McCole Pruer did enough to come back. You keep him in pits. Parker Hesse did a lot of dirty work. So you keep him. Then you see if John Fitzpatrick can develop. That's a big, good-looking kid that might be able to help you. Uh, offensive line-wise, they're already loading up at the left guard with the reserve future signings. Um, you know, and uh, what are you going to do with Caleb McGarry? You know, he had his best year in the in the pros. Uh, defensive line-wise, the line they wanted to play never took the field. Vincent Taylor ruptured his Achilles. Tyquan Graham beat out Marlon Davidson. Marlon Davidson, you know, is out of the league now. Wasted another second-round pick down the drain. So, you know, Tyquan was doing pretty good and keeping, um, you know, some of the heat off of Grady. He was winning his one-on-ones. He was getting some pass rush. Uh, then he lost, went down to it in the injury. And so then, you know, the guys just kind of filled in. Dickerson, Abdullah, um, they got Jalen Johnson in here. Uh, and then, you know, when Taylor went down, they tried to play Rush. Rush uh, ate himself out of the league, a little got overweight. Then, you, you know, Timmy Graham, Timmy Horn played pretty good at nose tackle. It was, uh, you know, your defensive line story. Linebacker-wise, they vamped out the whole crew, you know, got rid of Fowler, Means, Deion Jones. And, well, they didn't really want to get rid of Foyer, but they couldn't pay him, so... Then you end up with um, Agunda J, Rashawn Evans, uh, Mikael Walker, Troy Anderson, and uh, uh, outside Lorenzo Carter. So the linebacking crew kind of, you know, stabilized things. And then uh, we finished the defensive backs today. Those numbers didn't look good at all. Uh, we saw why Darren Hill was benched. He had a, a 114 passer rating thrown his way. Uh, A.J. Terrell. I thought he played a little bit better than his numbers, and so did Dean Pease. Uh, but, you know, he gave up six touchdowns. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of them was those short ones down low, wasn't like he was getting beat down the field. But his numbers weren't good. Um, Jalen Hawkins' numbers and Richie Grant, you know, the yeah, it's an improvement opportunity in the secondary. So if they, they, they sign a bunch of veteran D-backs, don't be surprised. Because uh, you can get them in free agency. Now, one of the bright spots were the special teams units who finished 10th in the Rick Goslin ratings. He's done it uh, for 42 years. And so they finished top 10. Then I also found the Football Outsiders DVOA uh, percentage, which has the Falcons in the top five. So kind of the takeaways here. The run, they got a running game. Quarterback situation's up in the air. Going to need a whole bunch of receivers. Offensive line needs to get better, get your depth better. If you're down three starters in the playoffs, you want to still be able to win. We saw the Bengals do it. Defensive line, get some big dudes. Get some get Fletcher Cox, get you some B.J. Hill, get you some D.J. Ritter to go with Grady Jackson uh, so you can go get after some people. And linebacker-wise, you need something off the edge. And corner, you got to cover. I know Dean Pease would lament that he couldn't play man-to-man coverage because he, he couldn't blitz because he couldn't leave the corners of man-to-man. So um, they need to do a better job on scouting the cornerbacks. Or if you're going to play zone, play cover two and, you know, just get after them with four. That's what the old school would like to do. Um, you know, Reggie White and uh, uh, Sean Jones and Big Gilbert Brown and, you know, uh, Santana Dotson, they had a good front four. So they didn't really do anything 
uh, play covered and move Leroy Butler all the way around. So it's a couple ways to do it, but you got to have some talent on that side of the football. Uh, 69 players uh, eligible for the uh, draft, early eligibles, uh, highlights. Uh, five from Georgia, Jalen Carter, Broderick uh, Jones, Keely Ringo, the cornerback, Darnell Washington, the tight end, and then Warren McClendon, he's going to the senior bowl. He was one of the players in the accident that uh, two people um, – died from but those are the five from georgia uh from georgia tech i see jameer gibbs uh georgia tech alabama but we have the whole list for you on uh cover nine at nine uh blog and we're going to close here with uh, one of our guys bucky brooks he's uh he did his mock draft 1.0 and uh the quarterbacks are gone by the time the falcons pick at eight and he has them taking Peter Skoronsky, S-K-O-R-O-N-S-K-I, a, a junior offensive tackle from Purdue, from Northwestern. So Peter Skoronsky from Northwestern makes sense to me. Um, you don't this this would mean you don't sign uh, uh, McGarry. Uh, this kid might have to play guard because of the arm length thing, or it might be okay at tackle. Uh, but you definitely, um, you know, if you're taking the best player available at eight, uh, Peter Skaronsky is who Bucky Brooks says they should take. And he says the Dirty Birds elect to fortify an offensive line that will need to protect a young passer growing into the position. Okay, so that's one. I, I mean, I've seen him, the uh, pass rusher from Texas Tech and the Clemson uh, pass rusher from Hillgrove High. So, you know, but it's too early to, to um, you know, uh, the mocks are too early. We got time. We're going um, at the East-West game next week and the Shrine Senior Bowl next week. Uh, East-West Shrine on Thursday, Senior Bowl on Saturday. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you got a little time before you get to the combine. Uh, and so uh, that's where some of this stuff will start to solidify itself. You'll see what they're doing in free agency, too. And that'll kind of give you some direction on where they're headed. So with that, we're going to thank our special guest, Jared Bell, again, for coming by the Bowtie Chronicles podcast, episode 386. Hope you have a good week. Get ready for the AFC Championship games. And just kind of always be looking like, hey, how can Falcons um, improve? You know, what do we see here that uh, they can take away from these games? You know, starting with the quarterbacks. You only got one. That's a super a duper top first round pick so you know other teams have found ways to get the quarterback situation they found ways to get a pass rush they found ways to build a a, a build a massive front line like the the 49ers have done it uh, on both sides of the ball you know look at these teams look at the lines look at the uh, offensive lines look at the pass rush and see um you know where the falcons need to to uh you know continue to get better and try to stack up so they can uh, return to respectability. It's been five years since they've been to the playoffs, and next year is going to be one where they can say it isn't playoffs or bust, but it's they should be, um, you know, legitimately in the playoff race uh, next year if they do this offseason right. So with that, take care and have a great rest of your week.
I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.